This is District Sentinel Radio, the newscast of record for the left. I am Sam Sachs. I am Sam Knight. We're broadcasting out of Pistown, Washington, D.C. Check out the website, districtsentinel.com. Check out the Patreon, patreon.com slash districtsentinel. If you listen to our newscast regularly and haven't subscribed to our Patreon, please consider doing so. Every little bit helps. I know that the economy is shit right now and the holidays are coming up and that's stressful for everybody. But uh, as little as a dollar a month goes a long way and you'll get your own haiku written for you and read on the air. And if you can't afford to right now, then try to remember us after the holidays, start of the new year, and we have less financial obligations. Consider throwing a dollar our way. Patreon.com slash District Sentinel. Although if you subscribe for a full $5 a month, you also get access one month free to Means TV, where you can catch Sam and I every Thursday morning on Means Morning News. So uh, some interesting election uh, data or analysis that seems to undercut the centrist argument that moving too far to the left hurts Democrats' chances Case in point, what happened in Maine, right, Sam? Yeah, that's right. There was an article in the New York Times today uh, which made a very convincing case that Mainers were really put off by the campaign that Democrats ran to oust Susan Collins. And um, the... Dozens of millions of dollars that was thrown at these ads just really rubbed people the wrong way. They felt like they were being uh, lectured as to uh, they were they felt like they were being lectured by outsiders as to what Susan Collins's record was like, and they thought that the the Democrat the Democratic Party was doing was trying too hard to try to tie Susan Collins to Mitch McConnell. And especially with the money being thrown at the campaign when with with people uh, undergoing such hardships right now, it, it seemed to spark a backlash. And in a state that Joe Biden won comfortably, Mainers revolted and uh, gave Susan Collins the victory. And to bolster the idea that this had nothing to do with the Democrats being quote unquote too far left. Look at uh, the Times analysis of how the vote went down in a town called Rumford, which uh, it was described as a, as, as a mill town that has fallen on hard times. Uh, a lot of union workers in the town. Well, Sarah Gideon, Susan Collins' opponent, only won 35% of the vote in Rumford. Joe Biden did a little bit better. He won 44% of the vote. Meanwhile, Congressman Jared Golden, who supports Medicare for All, he's a Democrat, he won his congressional race with 55% of the vote in Rumford. Now, I know this is uh, anecdata, as it were. This is just one town in Maine and doesn't tell the whole story throughout the whole state. But that is a pretty jarring difference, a 20% gap between Gideon and Golden. Yeah. Rumford, Maine. Sounds like the setting of a new Christopher Guest film. (laughs) 
Yeah. Anyway, uh, I'm sure this this uh, crucial data point will be studiously analyzed by House Democratic leaders who are convincing themselves that that it's Bernie Sanders and AOC who cost them, and not their disgusting consultant friends. <laughs> I'm sure it will be. It's Tuesday, November seventeenth, twenty twenty. Here's the news. Congress is still dawdling on a second coronavirus relief bill as the country spirals downward into an incredibly bleak winter. Yesterday marked the second time in three days that new cases surpassed the 150,000 mark in the United States. Also yesterday, Democratic leaders said they hadn't heard from Mitch McConnell in two weeks when the top Senate Republican said he was taking the lead in relief talks. On the Senate floor this morning, McConnell accused Democrats of blocking relief, alluding to when they opposed his plan as too meager. The Senate leader then said Democrats were holding up the bill by seeking a quote-unquote slush fund, the term he used to describe federal assistance to state and local governments that have been absolutely hammered by the pandemic. McConnell also warned Democrats that there are a number of items on the agenda that they need to get done, including a government funding bill that he himself wanted on the docket for the lame duck Congress instead of January to maximize his opportunities to cause problems for Democrats in the event of a Joe Biden victory. Here was McConnell on the Senate floor earlier this morning. Well, even if our Democratic colleagues continue to block any bipartisan pandemic relief from becoming law, there are other responsibilities we still need to tackle together. The federal government is currently funded through December the 11th. The next few days will tell us a lot about whether Congress can pull off the bipartisan bicameral appropriations process that I believe both sides would like to deliver. It's unlikely there'll be much substantive movement on relief today. McConnell is currently occupied with getting Republicans confirmed powerful positions in government, something that he actually likes doing, unlike helping the poor. The Senate advanced two federal judge nominees this afternoon. McConnell also scheduled a vote this afternoon on Judy Shelton, the carnival-barking goldbug charlatan nominated to serve as a Federal Reserve governor. We talked about Shelton on yesterday's show and how her nomination would fail if one more Republican voted against her and if Vice President-elect Kamala Harris shows up for the vote. Well, it turns out that this morning, Iowa Senator Chuck Grassley announced that he came into contact with someone who tested positive for COVID-19 and that he would be quarantining as a result. So Republicans are down another vote. Also, Harris ended up making the vote. So the Shelton nomination did go down, but McConnell could bring it up later. Shelton's fortunes might assuming, not improve. Assuming that uh, Chuck Grassley doesn't succumb to COVID. True, yes. Even if Grassley survives, Shelton's fortunes don't improve much in the near future. In two weeks, Republicans will be down another vote when Mark Kelly is sworn in. Kelly doesn't need to wait until January because his victory over Martha McSally was a special election to fill the seat of John McCain a.k.a. Megan McCain's father. Better known as Megan McCain's father. <laughs> Some of the most concentrated COVID clusters in the U.S. have been in prisons, and a new Department of Justice Inspector General report offered a glimpse into why that is. 
The IG conducted an inspection of the Oakdale Federal Prison in central Louisiana. The facility houses just over 1,800 inmates, and it experienced a COVID outbreak that led to 256 detainees and 51 staff contracting the virus. There are 12 current COVID cases at the prison. Altogether, eight people have died. According to the report, Oakdale failed to implement COVID screening measures for both inmates and staff. Those directives were handed down in January and in February of this year, but weren't put into action until the end of March, and by then the facility was already in the midst of an outbreak. In one case, in early March, a prison staff teacher returned from a trip to New York City during the height of the pandemic in that city, and the teacher complained about being sick but was not screened or encouraged to quarantine. The prison also did not limit inmate movement to encourage social distancing until well after the first inmate was found to be positive for the virus in late March. Only later did contract tracing determine that the start of the spread was the prison's education department. The first four inmates who tested positive all attended class, taught by the teacher who had traveled to New York. In fact, the first inmate to die of COVID was an assistant to that teacher. According to the IG, Staff did not have or was not aware of the necessity of wearing protective equipment when interacting with COVID-positive inmates. Reading from the report, quote, According to staff, we interviewed concern about access to PPE was so dire after the first inmate tested positive on March 21st that PPE supplies were being taken from the complex medical unit after hours and without permission, end of quote. In another episode of Spread, the facility learned in mid-May that there were 100 detainees who had tested positive but were asymptomatic. The individuals, though, were left in their housing units for six days and not isolated in accordance with CDC and Bureau of Prisons guidelines. Staff supervising these inmates were not furnished with protective equipment. Things got so bad for staff and inmates at Oakdale that they began questioning the intentions of management. Reading from the report again, quote, Oakdale staff told us that institution management failed to adequately communicate and engage with them at the beginning of the outbreak, which created an environment in which staff believed that management was not concerned for their well-being. End of quote. The failures at Oakdale are emblematic of failures across the federal prison system. According to Bureau of Prisons data, over 18,700 inmates and 2,395 staff have tested positive for coronavirus, 142 people within the system have died. A Democratic congressman announced that he will be resigning his seat to serve in the Biden White House, assuming that the Trump judicial coup effort doesn't succeed. Louisiana's Cedric Richmond said Tuesday that he will be President Biden's director of public engagement. Richmond is a former chair of the Congressional Black Caucus, He is also one of the most pro-oil industry Democrats. The muckraking website Sludge noted that in 2015, Richmond was one of 28 House Democrats to vote in favor of constructing the Keystone XL pipeline. He has also voted for Republican bills to exempt cross-border pipelines from environmental reviews, to facilitate offshore drilling, and to stop the EPA from regulating toxic coal waste. The Sunrise Movement has criticized Biden's ties with Richmond, noting that the congressman is among the top recipients of energy industry money and has repeatedly avoided taking meetings requested by his own constituents who are affected by energy industry pollutants in what's known as Cancer Alley in Louisiana. 
The Justice Democrats also criticized Biden's Richmond pick, and it hit out and it hit out at his decision to appoint Steve Reschetti as another top White House advisor. Reschetti is a former pharmaceutical lobbyist. The New York The New York Times said he will serve in a role similar to the one played by Kellyanne Conway in Trump's White House. Never too early to start shit-kicking the Biden administration right now. Even with uh, Trump threatening to stay in, in office, we still have to take time out to discuss what an awful team Joe Biden is already assembling. Finally, Twitter and Facebook CEOs testified before the Senate Judiciary Committee on Tuesday. These hearings have become fairly predictable as Republicans lash out against the social media networks for perceived censorship. And Democrats argue that the platforms don't do enough to suppress disinformation. Hearings also focus on Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act, which shield websites from liability for the content that users post on them. Both Donald Trump and Joe Biden have discussed repealing Section 230 in order to punish sites like Facebook and Twitter for their perceived political slights. While Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg and Twitter CEO Jack Dorsey testified today to a willingness to reform Section 230, they both cautioned against repealing it altogether, noting that it would lead to even more content moderation and waves of lawsuits. Worth noting that since they are already dominant in the social media industry, Facebook and Twitter are in a stronger position to handle Section 230 reforms and invest in more content moderation than smaller startup sites. A new topic did come up in Tuesday's hearing. We saw reactionary Senator Joni Ernst complain about Facebook's plan to create end-to-end encryption with its messaging service. Ernst suggested that it could empower child sexual abuse. But Mr. Zuckerberg, I do understand that Facebook is planning to outfit uh, outfit Facebook Messenger with end-to-end encryption. Uh, And how do you hope to prevent the dissemination of child sexual abuse material if neither law enforcement nor you can access that messenger data? Is there some sort of apparatus that you will have in, in place that can help law enforcement with those situations? And then... Oh, yes. Must think about precious law enforcement can't have humans talking to each other in venues where law enforcement can't listen in. The One good thing Facebook is considering doing in a while here with this end to end encryption. And of course, lawmakers think it's going to create more child sex abuse. Anyway, these hearings are mostly a waste of time because neither the lawmakers present or the witnesses are willing to tackle the actual reasons why disinformation on social media and content moderation are such big issues. And it's because these companies are too big, they're too powerful, and they should be broken up. That is the show today. Thanks for listening. We've got a brand new chip chat on the way tomorrow. We discuss the Trump administration's approach to foreign policy and war and some news to look out for during the transition as well as Joe Biden's defense team that he's assembling. It's not good, folks. Brand new Means Morning News on Thursday and then we're right back here for the Garbage Can on Friday, a show we do exclusively for our subscribers over at Patreon. Patreon.com slash District Sentinel. Consider subscribing today. We're here in D.C., so you don't have to be.